Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. I, almost, I was going to say teachmetotalk.com, but that's not the name of this show. I'm Laura Mize, and I'm so happy you've joined me for today's show. We have a wonderful mom, but before we get going, let me talk about a few announcements. And Laura, I forgot, Laura is the name of our mom, too. And Laura, I forgot to tell you I was going to make a couple of these announcements, so sit tight for me for just a second, okay? Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, Okay, so let me mention a couple of things. This summer I'm doing some Skype consults, and I wanted to be sure to mention that. And, again, if you're listening to this show, today is June 4th, 2015, and so I know some of these shows live on in infinity, and certainly the shows from 2008, people listen to those still every day. So I don't do these Skype consults all of the year when we're traveling during conference season, but I'm doing them again this summer. I've met some wonderful families via Skype, and so if you have a question that extends beyond the scope of just me emailing you back and forth and you really want that detailed um, advice or recommendations, check out that post on teachmetotalk.com. I also have a new post called Have a Question, I'm Here to Help. And so if you, again, want to send me an email or send me a message, I get so many emails that I can't really respond personally to every single one, and that drives me nuts. So I have this post that's kind of a running post with questions from parents, and so feel free to ask your question there, and then everyone can benefit from Uh, the question that you ask. And, again, there's so much comfort that parents receive from reading other people's stories and and just the camaraderie with feeling like, gosh, I'm not the only mom going through this. So check that out if you have not looked at that. And then I wanted to mention um, that the courses, both of my courses, Early Speech Language Development, Taking Theory to the Floor, which is a 12-hour continuing education course, and then Steps to Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers is a six-hour course. Both have ASHA CEUs for you speech pathologists, or if you're not a speech pathologist but still need CE credit in your state, you can certainly still take advantage of either one of those courses. And again, they're on DVD. It's very simple. You order the DVDs, you get a great therapy manual or a great course manual to go with the DVD set. Your forms are right there. You watch. You fill those forms out. You send them back to me, and then you get your certificate of completion. And if you are uh, needing ASHA credit, we file that for you. So it's a super, super way to take care of your CEU. So I wanted to mention that as well. Okay, so let's get going with today's show. We have a mom, and again, her name is Laura as well, so fabulous name there. Uh, and she's calling to talk about her unique situation. So, Laura, why don't you just tell us a little bit about you and your girls and, and give us some background, and then we'll just kind of go from there. Okay, sounds good. Hi, Laura. <laughs> um, Hello. I, I, um, okay, so I have um, almost four twin uh, girls. They're fraternal. Um, they were, you know, great, so they're almost great four babies. Now. And so what, sorry? So they're turning four. They're turning four at the end of June. Okay. Yeah, they okay. were typically, typically developed. Oh, sorry, go ahead. 
I think good to know because you know what I was thinking that they had I I was thinking they were still had just turned three but you know why because you and I have been talking back and forth for so long that's <laughs> that right before they're uh, getting older and and they've stayed frozen in time to me so that's okay I'm glad oh, you reminded me of that but, yeah. yeah they Keep turned going. four at the end of June um, they were okay. you know typically developed kids um, and uh, they walked late. Um, but, you know, everybody's telling you, like our GP's telling us, oh, it's because, you know, they're a little bit premature, they're a little bit behind, they'll catch up, as they all do. But I kind of knew something was off, but I thought, you know, I'm not a doctor, let's just go by what she's saying. So they walked at around 19 months. Hang on one second. How premature Mm -hmm. were they? I believe you told me 37 weeks, so... Uh, yes. Right at full term, but I want to make sure that I that I mention that. So for any mom or therapist listening, I know people are thinking, how premature were they? Were they, you know, right. eight weeks There were 37 weeks, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I think full term was considered 42 weeks, I'm pretty sure. I don't know if it's the same. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's the same there. Anyway, so, um, yeah, they were, you know, good babies. Everything was fine. Um, and then... I noticed with um, the I call it the older twin by two minutes. Um, so she was babbling, and then she stopped babbling after she turned one. Um, mm-hmm. The other twin was also babbling, but just bab, nothing spectacular. Just little whatever kids yeah. babble because there's some kids who make particular sounds. I find just looking at uh-huh. my friends' kids, but they were just you know. Um, and she, I, I saw something was off. Then, you know, I would call their names, and then they wouldn't respond um, consistently, uh, turning their heads to see where I'm calling them from, stuff like that. So I saw right. something's off. So then I took them back to the GP, and I expressed my concern, and she said, well, you know, let's just send them over to, um, there's an organization here in, um, outside Toronto. It's called Erin Kids, and it's... Mm-hmm. Um, it's government funded, and they deal with kids on the spectrum, all kinds of, um, I guess, men- mental health disabilities, any anything yeah, like that. So we were referred to them, but the waiting list was about a year. So when yeah. she saw them in 19 months, I had to basically wait a year for them to be seen by a doctor there to be assessed. Oh, so, my goodness. And that's so yes. different from our system here in the United States. Yeah. And yeah. For anyone listening, if you have a child who's under three and you have developmental concerns, uh, the federal law in the United States mandates that every state offer free assessments for any child in that birth to three developmental window who the pediatrician may have concerns about. Some states parents can refer themselves, and in other states you have to have a referral from your pediatrician here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wanted to mention that because that is a big difference in a system. And the, and with the federal law, they have 90 days here to get that initial assessment done. And you're not seeing a doctor or a specialist per se like you waited that year for in, in Canada, Laura. But at the same time, there's a much shorter timeline here. And parents here sometimes get mad that it takes 90 days. But then to hear... Oh, God, no. This, yeah, tell them what it's like here. <laughs> Yeah. Then they'll yeah. put it in perspective. So if you're in Canada and you ha- and you're listening and you have <laughs> concerns, go early. 
It's never too yeah. early. Go nine months or whatever. Yeah. I had no idea. These were my first kids. I, I, you know, you don't know. So right. you just listen exactly. to your inner voice and your instinct, and you'll know. It's your kid. Who knows the kids better than you, right? So um, Exactly. And it would so be then, much better. I tell parents all the time, it would be much better for you to go and for them to say, you have nothing to worry about. Versus waiting you know what? I, it's, months months. It's, it's funny you it's funny you say that because I was that denial mom. The first doctor's like, well, maybe we should get them screened for autism, and I got so defensive. I walked out of there. I'm like, there's mm-hmm. no way my kids have autism. Something's going on. Yeah. There's got to be something else. There's no way. So I was that mom, and then you know I went home and I talked to my husband. And I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna do it. It's just as hard as it is because I don't want to face it. I just right. I just did it. So then we had to wait for nine months to be assessed by a doctor at this organization who apparently has so uh-huh. much experience and she knows right away within 10, 15 minutes of seeing a kid if you really? know, there's concerns. And so we did that. And um, Hang on uh, a we, second, Marlon. Yeah. Let me ask you something. Talk about your defensiveness. Because the that's what, God. Talk about your defensiveness, and was that because I see that and and hear that a lot, and I know a lot of moms are going to who are listening are going to maybe be feeling that and working through that right now, and yeah, certainly therapists who are listening, how would you have recommended that somebody talk you through that when oh, like was, if you uh, yeah, I mean, how long did that you kind just of take don't you want this time? Yeah, I so just, just talk you don't want to hear it. Yeah, yeah, I just didn't want to hear it, and I think that's a pretty standard mom reaction. Like, you tell somebody that to a mom, and you're like, no. I mean, that was yeah. me. It wasn't like, well, maybe you're right. Let me think, oh, no, there's no way in hell my kids have autism. That's the first, because that's to me. And up to now, like, this is a big step for me talking about this, because nobody knows. Like, I have, we, really? we haven't told friends. We haven't told, like, closer friends. I've told some family. I just can't bring myself to say it. And it's not because, not that I'm ashamed of the kids, but it's just, like, I can't still process. Like, I've processed it, and I know it's, you know, it is what it is. It's just you can't accept it still. Well, I can't anyway. And it's been two years. And I just feel like because, you know, I'll talk about how you feel when you're given the diagnosis too, but... The first reaction, I think, usually it's no, there's no way. And I'm sure a lot of moms who are listening are going through the same thing and saying, oh, there's no way, maybe they're wrong, or, you know, maybe like they said, they're premature and they're taking their time to catch up. Maybe, but, I mean, you know something's wrong. You just know. I mean, I knew. I just, sometimes denial keeps you from acknowledging it, but you just know. So, well, it's so I mean, hurtful. I mean, even as you were telling your story there, it it gave, kind of put a knot in my stomach because I really have worked with so many moms and dads over the years that really um, sometimes by the time I see them, I'm not, I've not, especially these last few years where I'm doing a lot of private therapy and consultative, they've seen several people who've given them the diagnosis. But sometimes people come and they're, they're kind of coming to me to, for me to say, oh, no, it's not autism, you know. And a lot of people mm-hmm. say, you were the, I love your website. You were the nicest person I could find on the website. So I just know you're going to tell me all these other people were wrong. 
and mm-hmm. it is it is just devastating sometimes. It is all the time. <laughs> Mm-hmm. To get that kind but it's of like you, it's something you don't expect. You just keep believing it's really delay, and they're gonna because that's what they tell you, and that they're gonna catch up. And then you right. hear that, and you're just floored. You like it's right. the worst thing you could ever hear. And right. then you get after you've given that. I don't know if you want to move on to talk about that, but it's okay. you know it's, yeah. it's it's tough to hear. You know, like and you keep hoping maybe they're wrong. I'll go to somebody else get a second opinion. And then, yeah. you know, you wait, yeah. you wait, and that person tells you the same thing, and you're like, oh, you know, yeah. Right. Oh, gosh. Okay, so kind of keep moving forward. Keep telling us your story. So you did get them okay. diagnosed. Yeah, so I got them diagnosed. The lady assessed them. So after the assessment, I basically had to bring him in. Uh, she wanted to see him on three different occasions. So, uh-huh. um but again, I was in denial because, you know, every session was different. They were crying. They didn't want to be in a room. You know, it's a tiny room. They do all these tests. They had no idea. You know, I, I just cried after each session because I'm like, oh, my God, my kids are like guinea pigs or mice. They're putting through all these tests and what's oh. happening. And I'm like, oh, she's going to be wrong. Nothing's going to happen. Denial, denial, denial. But in the back of my right. head, I'm like, no, they have it. Yeah. And right. what, what threw me off is because she diagnosed them both, but um, the other twin, twin B, let's call her, the smaller one, she always babbled. Like she had right. words, little words, you know, and that threw me off because to yeah. me autism is a kid who's not social and doesn't talk. I had no idea there's a wow. whole spectrum of things. So when she right. said both have it, I was even more like distraught. Yeah. Because I thought it was just my other one. No. And I've so, had that happen a lot. Listen, I saw this set of triplets one time that two of the two of the children were in services, and the one who wasn't in services should have been. And so to talk oh my with goodness. parents about that and say, you know, because they really used him as, he was their example of typical development. And I would always say, you know, that's, that's not really still within the normal range of development here. And they were just always so upset when one of their team kind of pointed that out because we do kind of compare child to child and certainly when there are multiples. And so you just kind of take Mm -hmm. the one that's the most and you say, well, this is the normal one. And so it is pretty different. I think to get both of them to, for both of them to have the diagnosis, and they're fraternal. But then once, they're not a. They're fraternal, which is you know usually I feel identical. I thought, hey, you know, but it's just so funny how they're not funny, but you know, it's they're completely different. Like yeah. autism wise, I mean, like their needs. Yeah. You know, one just talks and is social and. And I'm like, really? Why is she on the spectrum? And then the other one doesn't talk. So she's nonverbal, and she used to. And she just doesn't have a lot of eye contact. That's her main trait. But she does everything else like a typically developed kid. So it's like yeah. completely different. You think of their twins, they're the same. No, no kid on the spectrum is the same. Exactly. So, <laughs> wow. You know, and I okay, told people, I'm like, really? Yeah, yeah. 
let me ask you this. Did we talk about, before the show went live, we talked about your concerns with their hearing. Did we talk about that on yes. the show? Not yet. Did I'm getting to the point of... Okay, so good. while okay, they were good. <laughs> yeah, while they were getting assessed, this is a nineteen months they were referred. We had to wait about nine months and this was a rush at nine months to get them in instead of a year. It's ridiculous. So they got seen and assessed and then we didn't get diagnosis. So they got assessed in March. We didn't get the formal uh-huh. diagnosis till August. So they're yeah. around two. And even yeah. though we went through all these doctors, all these, you know, people that saw them and assessed. Not one person said, hey, maybe you should get the hearing tested because, I mean, that's a common, you know, like common yeah. sense to me. A kid can't talk because she can't hear. Not one right. person. So, again, mommy intuition. I'm like, you know what, I'm going to get the hearing tested because something's off. So then yeah. I went and got the hearing tested, and they're about two and a half, I would say, so I found uh-huh. a specialist nearby, got them, again, more waiting. Anyway, we got them in. Um, the little one had 20% hearing. That's why she was babbling. And wow. the bigger one had no hearing. She basically flatlined. Wow. So we thought, again, you're going on this emotional roller coaster. So now I'm like, oh, my God, this is why they're not talking. Again, right. denial. Right. Yeah, right. I'm like, yes. We found the cause. Right. So we got them in for surgery a couple of months later. So they basically had it before they turned three. They had it in the beginning of June when uh, so it two years loss. ago. Let, let's, just, let's summarize this for moms who are hearing yes. you talk, but they don't have any kind of experience with this. They weren't hearing because they had so much middle ear fluid. So that's why well, you're talking about the surgery, they got tubes, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. And had they been yeah, so usually did you did they have lots of ear infections, Laura? Had they had lots of ear infections? You know what's funny? They did not. They did not. That's what I was about to say. They were perfectly healthy kids. Never never got sick. And they didn't even have colds until they started daycare. They were perfect. No colds, no sickness, no ear infections. I mean, they'll get the occasional cold, but nothing like, oh, my kid had ear infections every day. No. And it was what threw me off is every time I would call them, they would respond, but on and off. So I I don't know if it's because to them and I was making a sound, especially to the older one, and she heard maybe the vibration or something, she would turn around. I don't know. But it was inconsistent. I thought, you know, something's off. Like, it's got to be. No way. And I'm the type of person who just looks into everything. My mom says I'm OCD, but... (laughs) That's just my mom. But sometimes that's another show. That's another show, Laura. (laughs) So, but you know, it's good to have that quality sometimes because you just don't let it go. I'm like something's off, and it just oh, it drove me insane. And you know, you're on this emotional roller coaster, like I said, up and down. And as soon as you discover something, you're like, oh, this is the cause of it. But you know, so. Yeah, so with the tubes, it could be, you know, I encourage anybody to get them tested, even if, you know, if you see that they don't babble, they don't talk, they, you know, they don't turn their heads, it doesn't hurt to get them tested. It's it's basically just a, in a sound, I don't know if anybody knows, if you guys do, the, you must do the same there. It's just a soundproof room, and they put these headphones right. on, and there's a sound that comes, and the kids turn their heads, and you sit there with them, and you can see the line go up and down, and I watch my daughters just flatline. 
So, yeah, did you, let me ask you this, Laura. When you were doing your, and I know the Canadian system is different, but when you were doing right. just your well baby visits, did the doctor do tympanograms? That's a special test where you measure middle ear function, and that's how doctors know if kids have fluid in their ears. Did the doctor ever do nope. anything like that? Or? Okay. No, we, they don't right. do that here. They may, like they measure their weight, height, and we talk about stuff, how they develop, and if they meet um, their milestones and stuff like that. But no, nothing like that. But this okay, is where so let me just say this came in and they quick. did that. Okay, let me just say this really quickly for any mom who's in the mm-hmm. United States or outside. When you go to, go to the pediatrician's office, you can say, I want you to do that special thing that you do where you put the 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 tester thing, however, you know, it's a tympanogram is what you're getting. But it's where the doctor really measures and really can tell definitively if there's middle ear, something in the middle ear, fluid. And so that's yeah. a test that you can ask for. And it do, it blows me away how many moms that describe the situation just like you've described it had no real idea that their children couldn't hear who didn't uh, have that test performed um, in the pediatrician's office. And every pediatrician's office should be able to do that. And that's pretty standard, but sometimes you have to ask for it. and Or sometimes the doctor will say, well, I didn't, you know, this kid's never had any ear infections, so you know, right. I did, that really wasn't indicated. So just wanted to kind of mention that for other moms who might be struggling with that. It's called a tympanogram. Okay, so go and ahead. And just, <laughs> just to add to that, because after they did the surgery, apparently the older twin's ear had some fluid, but it was her canal too that wasn't, uh, it's supposed to be tilted, I think she said, but hers was straight, so that added to the part of it. So if you do the test that you mentioned at the pediatrician's office and you still see that something's off, we'll get them tested because it could be the anatomy of its ear canal itself. Exactly. I didn't know about that either, but they don't know that until you see a specialist or they put ear tubes in there, so don't give up. (laughs) Exactly. You can't you can't tell that, yeah. So again, that she's talking about those, you know, your eustachian tubes and things. So you do have to just keep being persistent, like Laura did Mm -hmm. with the whole. I know something's off. I know something's off. I need some answers here. So great, great, great advice. All right. So they got their tubes, and then what? They got their tubes. Uh, Then I came upon your website, and then I started listening to your um, talk shows on my night shifts on my breaks or at home when I had some free time. And I started because uh, the little one, she had babble, but she had really no words. And uh-huh. I had no idea how to teach her. So I I think the first show or video clip, I can't remember, is the one where you, tell, uh, you taught kids to say ball and you had to be animated and, you know, use your singy song voice and, you know, say all these words in a high-pitched voice. And I, I, I can do that. Like, I have I have no shame at home. That's okay. <laughs> I don't do it in public, but, you know, I just go all out. So I just sat there, and they love, love, love baby Einstein. I don't know why, because they're past that age, but, you know, it's the music, and she loves music. So, you know, a, a picture or a video clip came up on the screen as a, of a ball, so I keep saying, look, ball, ball, ball. So guess what? She starts saying ball. So I just oh. cried. <laughs> yeah. Her first it was word just like amazing because all her words are like, you know, blah, blah, whatever, baby babble. Right. And right. it was just, 
you know, it was like one of those things that you're just like, remember forever. And, uh, and since then I just, you know, start using the same voice and just, but I don't know why that word was so catchy for her. The fact that she could see it as well. So, yeah, then every time she would see it, she would say, ball. So it was just from there, just, you know, I started listening more and using more techniques again with the singing song voice. So she has a few words now and, you know, it's great, but you know, the older ones still no words. Not even imitation, yeah. no babble, nothing. So I'm at the yeah. point, it's like, what do I do with her? Right. Uh, we had an ABA well, therapist who came to the house, and she did play and, you know, labeling things and stuff, but there was no singy song voice. <laughs> and I was trying <laughs> to tell her, but I didn't want to tell her because, you know, I, I fell out of place because I figured she's a therapist, but I said, you know, what worked for me is if you use, you know, yeah. high-pitched voice and you say it and not just like, say ball, because that won't work. And um, Exactly. And let's just, let me summarize that again for moms yeah. who are listening. Sometimes as a mom, you really have discovered little tricks and little tips that mm-hmm. work for your child, and yet you go to a therapist or they come to you and they aren't using that, and then your child's not responding as well, don't wait weeks and weeks and weeks and don't feel that intimidation or that pressure or that feeling like, oh, she knows, so I'm not going to correct her. I'm not going to give her advice. You know your kid better, like Laura just said. So Mm -hmm. jump in there and say, this works better. This works for me. Let me show you how I get a better response when I do it like this. And 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 I love it when a mom comes in telling me what works. I feel like that makes mm-hmm. my job easier. I love that. Not all therapists feel yeah. that way. So you may have to tread a little <laughs> bit light, lightly and just say, you know, again, if you're uh, feeling like you don't want to offend the person, you really can say, like you said, let me show you this is what works for me. And it's a great way to do it, but don't let somebody flounder weeks and weeks and weeks in therapy when you know one little tweak, you can share with them one little thing to do differently, and it would work a little better. So let's just empower moms. And if you're a therapist who's listening, that you get your feelings hurt, when mom tells you something like that, let me just say, try to frame it a different way with thinking, this mom is helping me, this mom is teaching me, this is a shortcut, this is what she's learned and I promise some of my very best sessions and and favorite families have been moms who've kind of said let me show you a better way to do that and I I have loved Mm -hmm. that and I have benefited from that my whole career but a lot of therapists don't take that like we should so I think there's an important Mm -hmm. lesson there on both sides so I'm so glad you brought that up especially if you're paying for it privately like I did. I mean, she was great. She took everything I said into consideration. It's just sometimes, you know, some things don't work and some don't, so speak up. Because then it's your money anyways. So um, did you want to talk? Sorry, go ahead. Let me just say this. Sometimes, too, when you're spending your own money or even if you're spending the insurance company money, I always think Mm -hmm. you would never sit through three or four bad haircuts, you just wouldn't. You would tell the person doing your hair, you would say, that was terrible last time, and we need to try it again. And by the time you've had the second bad haircut, you're looking for somebody else. And sometimes Mm -hmm. we don't 
parents don't feel empowered enough to do that with therapists because, again, they feel like, well, she's bound to know what she's doing. And let me just say, there are wonderful, wonderful speech-language pathologists just like there are wonderful hairdressers and wonderful car mechanics and wonderful fill-in-the-blank profession, but there occasionally is going to be somebody that you're not a good match to or who doesn't have the skill set that you need, and so sometimes you do have to move on. Try it with Mm -hmm. the person that you're with. Try to fix it the best you can, but if you can't, don't be afraid to look for someone who's a better fit to you and and who has a skill set who can serve your child better. Okay, so go Mm -hmm. ahead, Laura. I agree. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I don't even know where we left off at. Um, I know you at some point you wanted me to talk about when I received the diagnosis because a lot of moms are probably feeling the same way. So I don't know if you want to go back to that or talk about it later. Let's, no, let's yeah, do I want to do that. I just, of course, when you you don't want to hear that. So with me, because I was in denial for so long, it, you know, everything that came to light was a hope. Um, you know, oh, it's the hearing that they can't talk. That's why they're not talking. Oh, it's this, it's that, it's delayed. You know, and after you see two people who tell you the same thing, you're like, oh, no. And then you just yeah. crash. I don't know, for me anyways. And then the first thing, I think this is for every mom, you blame yourself. You know, what did I do? That is the first thing you're like, what did I do to cause this? Why, you know, is there something I did during my pregnancy? Is it something I ate? Which I know it sounds stupid, but this is what it's in your head. What was in my head anyway? It must be me, it must be me. You know, because you don't, I didn't, this was the last thing I expected, you know, autism. I'm like, really? Like, they were fine, like, (laughs) a couple of months ago, what's happening? Uh And it's just like, what do you do? It's just, you have no idea what to do next. And, you know, everybody you see, they bombard you with flyers and call this number and go here for help and do this and apply for this funding. You were just like... You have nobody to navigate you step by step through, you know, how to process it, how to, what do you do next? It's just, oh, I don't know if you have that there, but this is how I felt and how I found it to be here. Which you just lost. You have no idea. But, you yeah. know, you And you I think start... that's very common. I think that's very common. And even, even here where you can get it services faster and, you know, even when you have a, a state early intervention program where it's already kind of set up and they've done the referrals and you're still going to see the same therapy even after you get the diagnosis, you know, you still have your little core team there. I still think those emotions are very consistent with just feeling completely lost, like yeah. I'm not quite sure. Even when you're getting a lot of advice and a lot of recommendations, I think that's a very common thing that I hear parents tell me, and certainly parents write me at teachmetotalk.com about that, just that feeling of, you know, I'm numb. I, I'm paralyzed. I don't know what mm-hmm. to do next. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty When you yeah. you are allowed to diagnose it, right, in the States as a speech-language pathologist? Well, let me just say this. Um, the American Speech and Hearing Association, which is our national organization, says that if a speech-language pathologist has specific expertise, so training, experience, you're comfortable with that. They say that diagnosing autism is within your scope of practice, meaning you can do it. But Mm -hmm. in real practice, (laughs) lots Mm -hmm. of speech 
language pathologists are uncomfortable with that because they because of the programs that they work in. So if they're affiliated, have uh. a contract with an agency or a state program, there's still probably a way for the therapist to function within kind of a team and then they refer on to another team who would assess the child and give the formal diagnosis. And there's usually a developmental pediatrician, so a doctor on that team, or a psychologist is how lots mm -hmm. of states um, refer children to psychologists who specialize in um, educational diagnoses. And I'm kind of teasing that out from kind of a mental health diagnosis or a medical piece, you know, like a right. psychiatrist. And so really it, there's variability throughout the United States. And so some speech pathologists, I think, in common practice would recognize the symptoms of autism and would help a parent walk through that. But a lot of people would still refer a child on for someone else to confirm the diagnosis. Yeah, we had a developmental pediatrician assess them, so okay. And then it's funny because okay. the speech-language pathologist we worked with, uh, she was trained, I think, in the States, and then she came here, and she mentioned that in the States she's able to diagnose, and then here she's not, but she can see traits of it. So, you know, hearing that right. again, it's okay, so it is true. So then you start yeah. processing it, so then, yeah, okay. Right. Yeah, I just wanted to know, but, yeah, so, yeah, it is what it is, right? <laughs> I know, and you know, but, this, yeah, today I saw a mom, I, I, let me just tell you this, share this little story. Today I was in the grocery store, We, Johnny and I had done our exercising today, we had done our walk, and so, you know, we're both kind of a hot mess, and we ended up running to the grocery store to get something for lunch right before we were going to do the podcast, and I saw one of the very first moms who said to me straight up in the first meeting with her, her first assessment, do you think he has autism? And I immediately said, yes, I do. And so wow. it was just interesting to kind of <laughs> see her today <laughs> when I knew we were going to do this show and uh, follow up with her because I had not seen her in years. And I worked with her child probably 15 years ago, 18 years ago maybe, so a long, long time ago. Um, mm -hmm. And so it was just kind of interesting to talk with her about that today and kind of see how he's doing and, you know, he's in high school and, all of that. Wow. So it's just that conversation, and it really does vary from parent to parent with how comfortable a therapist would be with saying <laughs> yes or no. When mm -hmm. a parent asks me that bluntly, if I think a kid is on the spectrum, I'm not going to withhold information from them. I'm going to say, yes, I do, yeah. or I'm not sure, or these are the markers I see. A lot of times, especially when her little boy so long ago was getting diagnosed, we didn't have... Um, our, our specialists even in town where I live were really children and then having them come back in a year for a follow-up, especially if they didn't have every single one of the criteria. And, again, the diagnosis, the way we diagnose autism has changed now today compared to yeah. what it was 15, 16, 17 years ago, too. So it's just interesting to kind of remember that with, with mm -hmm. her, her emphatically asking me that and then me remembering saying, well, yes, I do. I do think that's it. And some, sometimes as therapists, we're a little afraid to do that, and, and I don't think that always works out either. So anyway, all right, continue yeah. with your story. 
Um, okay, so what are we talking now? Okay, so they had their ear tubes, and uh, the little one's speech progressed. She has few words now, um, and the other one still no words. And this worm, um, also they have feeding issues where um, they prefer certain colors. Uh, you know, white, mainly white diet, as they call it. Yeah. It's a lot of carbs, and, you know, they go to daycare twice a week, and they're having issues with food there. Even though if I pack them lunch, they still don't eat. So I'm like, oh, man, what else is going on? So we started right. talking to an OT um, about, you know, their feeding issue, private OT. Somebody referred me to her. And uh-huh. within 15 minutes, this woman told me more than I found out in three years. And this just wow. happened, like, three weeks ago and it just blew my mind. I was like, really? <laughs> really? Obviously, the sensation is going so on. I am so happy. I am so happy so you're connecting was, now with somebody that, that's yes. fabulous, that you feel comfortable yes. with, and who's mm-hmm. giving you great information. That's terrific. Yeah, because, you know, there's other stuff going on that you have no idea about. I know about sensory issues you read, and but sometimes they don't tell you they need certain things, you know, like deep pressure, uh, you know, she'll sleep right. against the wall be- to get herself deep pressure. I had no idea. I just thought she just sleeps weird. Um, you know, the little one still mouths everything because she has really oral motor issues where she has to do a lot of chewing and stuff like that. They have low jaw muscle. Um, you know, right. the lip, what is it called? Lip jaw dissociation. Apparently, that's, that's why she's but, not talking. Just things like so that he- where... You're overwhelmed, but it's good or overwhelmed because you're sort of getting answers now that make sense. Right. Okay, so so this new jaw, lip, mouth disassociation. So she's your OT has told you she thinks that the one who's not verbal at all, in addition mm-hmm. to the autism, also probably has apraxia, childhood apraxia of speech. Isn't that what you were telling me before? Yeah, she says she cannot diagnose that, but from her experience, she has some kind of form of apraxia, but she's saying mm-hmm. it's dyspraxia, which is because of the yeah. jaw thing. So am I saying it right? <laughs> you are. And so listen, let me difference? just say, for, for therapists, none in the States and probably none there. I mean, unless we're talking to your specific therapist and knowing exactly what she's thinking in her mind. You really can use those terms interchangeably. Apraxia, the A in front of that, the prefix, is supposed to mean, praxis means movement. And so mm-hmm. apraxia is supposed to mean, or the A uh always means a lack of or, or loss and completely, you know, it's, it's more severe. Dyspraxia really just is a milder, it's supposed to be, the prefix dis is supposed to mean that it's a milder form of trouble with movement, but in reality, most therapists use those terms interchangeably. In the United Kingdom and Great Britain, they mostly say dyspraxia, and in the United States, we mostly say apraxia, and so in Canada, your OT is using that dyspraxia uh, versus apraxia. She uh, Ask her about it, but she probably um, is just using that because that's what she's always called it. Okay. But same diagnosis. So it's it's a form of apraxia. Right. Thing. Okay. Usually. Okay. Usually. Yeah. And if she has no words and she's four, you know that she's not meaning that it's a milder form of apraxia because common well, sense. She, she'll make. You. I should. I should say she'll <laughs> make sounds. A lot of e, 
sometimes ooh, ah, she'll scream, but everything's together, like the mouth, the lips, the tongue, like she won't say other sounds that don't, you know, allow the tongue to move independently. So um, she doesn't think it's severe, but... Go ahead. I'm sorry. What did she? What no, did no, no, no. I just wanted to say, what? yeah, she thinks it's a milder form, especially in the one that babbles, like that talks, but the one that's nonverbal. <laughs> she doesn't think it's severe, but it's okay. Uh, I guess more well, than another, the other one. I don't know. It's another complicating factor because you know, again, apraxia is her speech part of this diagnosis, but lots and lots of children who are on the spectrum have. Other diagnoses too, or other, you know, we call it comorbidities. Other issues, issues, yeah. And a lot of times, it's kind of what you were talking about with when you were going through the whole hearing loss thing. You kind of hear one diagnosis, and you kind of get Mm -hmm. a little bit um, stuck on that one. In that, oh, this Mm -hmm. is the this is this is all that it is, you know, and so you, but when you, and I talk to parents who have children with autism all the time, it is so common for a kid to have more than one diagnosis kind of that falls under that big umbrella of autism uh, because some mm-hmm. moms will hear, will hear a therapist say she has a praxia and then they just totally discount the autism diagnosis and a lot of the time that goes together. And so a praxia certainly mm-hmm. explains why she's, so much difficulty imitating speech and why she yes. can't re-sequence her sounds to form real words. I mean, that certainly explains that part. But it, but autism is uh, kind of the, still the over, overreaching diagnosis that, that more accurately gives you an idea of what's going on with all of her, <laughs> with her whole mm-hmm. little system. Yeah. Just that yeah. one little look at speech and so a lot a lot mm-hmm. of moms will hear that they'll say oh I think she's misdiagnosed she's really just apraxic he is not autistic he does not have autism when truly for lots of kids those go hand in hand yeah so it's very rare to have a kid with apraxia and not autism no not at all you can have apraxia oh. <laughs> and not be on the spectrum Hmm. But I'm just saying apraxia, yeah, it can be a totally, it can be a standalone diagnosis or it can accompany other kinds of issues. Yeah. And certainly we see that with children with autism. A lot of, and not everybody with autism has apraxia. Don't misunderstand that. And for any mom listening, I'm not that. I'm just saying in my experience, it's been a lot of times parents will hear a diagnosis like apraxia and will think, oh, that autism is wrong. The only thing that's mm-hmm. wrong going here is the apraxia. And so, and you're not saying that, Laura, at all. I think you are no, not so at ground all. looking at everything and looking at your little girls oh, as yeah. a whole. And so I just wanted to make sure for another mom listening, if that happens to ring true for them, that they understand that. Yeah. And then so what would you do with, because she's the kid who doesn't imitate actions or sounds. I mean, if she were to do something, she'll do it. But for her to say, clap your hands, she won't do it. Or do this, she won't do it. Okay, so she is, so if you clap your hands, she'll imitate, right? Nope. Is that what you're saying? She'll do it on her own terms. 
Yeah, no, she won't imitate any kind of action. Like if I clap my hands, she won't do it. But then she'll do it later on on her own terms. But that's not imitating. Yeah. You've got to get the imitation piece down, and that's the key. That's the key for kids with apraxia and kids for autism. They have to really get that imitation piece. And what makes it so hard for kids with autism to master imitating even way back at just the movement level is because they don't attend to other people well enough to make imitating meaningful. And so if you think about typically developing babies, and you said you weren't concerned about the babies until they were about, your twins until they were about one. So when they were yeah, six months later, old, yeah. nine months old, would they clap? Would they do, would they wave um, bye-bye or clap? Or any any no, little you thing know like what? that? Not, not really. Okay. Certain things they okay. would, but no, not clapping and not waving. So I guess that may go back more than a year, but to yeah. me it was just like, yeah. oh, you know. But, sure, uh, and you weren't concerned I mean, at that point. You had no reason to be worried, but that kind of tells no. me that developmentally they had some things going on even then. Because yeah. even typically developing infants, nine months, 10 months, 11 months, they really will start to imitate, especially if you're trying. If you are trying uh-huh. to get them to class, trying to get them to um, wave, trying to get them to t- teach them any little baby trick or, you know, a game like peekaboo, they will respond. And that's just part uh-huh. of normal development because they are reinforced. You know, they they think it's cool. They like it. They enjoy it. And so that kind of yeah. tells us right away, even for kids who are under a year old, when we're not seeing that, that you know there is a developmental problem in place, even socially, because their their little systems aren't responding. They don't get that internal pleasure mm-hmm. from copying and imitating, and that's kind of the yeah. core piece that's missing with kids who go on to get an autism diagnosis, is that lack of that mutual enjoyment. With you do something, and then I copy you, and I think that's hysterical, and then you copy me, and I think that's hysterical, and then you just go back and forth. That's that whole reciprocity turn-taking piece. And, again, Mm -hmm. that's that core feature of autism. That's one of them. The other thing is their little bodies, even if they wanted to do clapping, sometimes they can't get that little message to send from their brain to their mouths for a word or to their little hands for an action like clapping or waving. And that's where the apraxia mm-hmm. comes in. That's what that means is uh, that there's just, oh, okay. and again, this is a really kind of lay way to explain it. And I certainly, a neurologist would probably roll her eyes if she heard me to de- describe apraxia this way, but I kind of think about it as kind of a short circuit. They might have the message, they might have the intention, but they just can't coordinate it well enough to get that little signal sent to their mouth or their hands or whatever they're trying to imitate. So even if they were connected enough to you to do it, it could still go wrong between them thinking they want to do it and their bodies actually performing what they wanted it to do. Does that make a little more sense? That makes complete sense to me. And is there any way to, like, teach them, like, would this apraxia get any better? Obviously, is there, there's no cure, right? It's just you're just alleviating the symptoms no. or getting it better. It can totally get better, and that's what therapy's all about. <laughs> and so you're doing the right stuff. And thankfully now you're hooked up with somebody with your OT who understands 
what's going on, you know, from mm-hmm. her perspective of looking at the sensory piece, looking at the feeding piece, looking at the communication piece. It sounds like she's got a pretty good handle on your little girls and is noticing things. And even more importantly, she's able to explain it to you <laughs> in a way yeah, that makes yeah. sense by you know, giving you explanations like the deep pressure thing. Well, no wonder she sleeps against the wall. That's because she mm-hmm. thinks deep pressure. You know, so again, I think it's so great that you found somebody who can explain all these things and put together all these puzzle pieces for your little girls <laughs> and help you oh, understand, yeah. you know, why she's not doing it and then even beyond that Laura I hope that she's able to come up with strategies for you and therapy techniques that are going to make these things get easier I for you and for and your girl now when you do when you mentioned therapy for praxia you mentioned I guess that it's not the OT therapy I'm talking I need to get an SLP right for that you do you do, okay. and you need to get an SLP who has experience with apraxia and autism. Because I'll just tell mm-hmm. you, the way that you're going to treat a kid with autism with apraxia is probably going to be somewhat different than what you would do with a child who just has apraxia, who doesn't have the other characteristics of autism kind of layered on top of that. Because if a kid just mm-hmm. had apraxia, they wouldn't have problems with social connection. They would be really connected to you. It wouldn't be difficult yeah. for them to enjoy and take turn. You know that kind of that back and forth uh, social game kind of piece. A kid with just a she, she throws me off because yeah, sorry, she throws me off because you mentioned the social piece. It's like this kid's just amazing. She just comes for hugs, interacts, joint attention, feeds me with a spoon if she doesn't want to eat the whole thing. So she's not the kid who's in the corner, shy, who doesn't want to look at everybody. Right. Like, she's out there. But it's just me. Like, she trusts me completely. She'll do with my, my mom's here. She'll do with her her dad. But it's mainly me. You know, she won't interact exactly. with other kids, but not even with her sister. But it's just like, I just need, basically, I wanted to ask you how to start to do stuff at home. I know you have a manual for, you know, building verbal imitation, but that's not for apraxia. Yes, that work for it. Oh, it, it is. Would. Okay. Do you have? Yes. Do you have that? I don't have do that. Have that. I wanted manual? to order it, but uh, the well, shipping takes forever. So I wanted to see if you have like a digital one. You and I will talk about that after the show, and that's going to be okay. your little gift today for all of your wisdom oh, that thanks. you've shared with our audience today. But yeah, that's exactly what you do. It's that same method with working with teaching them how to imitate actions. And then you kind of move it on, make it a little bit harder where they're doing things, you know, actions with objects first. So how is she Mm -hmm. with imitating actions with a toy? Will she copy what you do with a toy? She does, and she plays functionally with a toy. Um, She never used to. She would just sit there and spin toys, but she's come a long way. She's just amazing. Everything you show her once, she just does. She's she's a problem solver. You give her a toy, she'll figure it out. Um, so she's you know, smart. Just, she's got some very cognitive skills there. Okay, so but and she will under, she, you know what? And she, I should say her rece- her receptive language is great. She understands everything. Okay, good. It's just good. she her expressive language is zero. Okay, but you still need to start with her yep. understanding. You, mommy does it, I do it. Mommy does it, I mm-hmm. do it. Mommy does it, I do it. So if you're sitting playing with her, if you kiss the mm-hmm. baby doll, would she kiss the baby doll? 
Uh, I didn't try the kiss, but I looked at one of your shorts where you feed the doll. I did that with her, and uh-huh. she does it. Okay. She'll do it. Okay. And so, with, okay, let me ask you this. Will she do several things in a row? Like if you gave the doll a bite, would she immediately copy that, or would you have to work to get her to do it? No, I didn't have to work her to do it. I said, look, feeding the doll, feeding the doll. So I did it twice, and she did it Perfect. twice. Perfect. It's just okay, actions so, like plopping and whatever. Okay. So see, that's the next little piece up. That That's level one, imitating actions with objects. The next little piece up, level two, is going to be imitating body movements that you do. And so uh, let me ask you this. Does she, does she wave bye-bye? Does she clap? Nope. The only thing okay. she'll do with me is she holds my hands and we both jump at the same time. Because she loves jumping. Okay. All right. So listen, this is why your OT is saying dyspraxia. Now I kind of get what she's talking about. OTs use that term dyspraxia a lot when they're meaning apraxia of their whole little body. <laughs> so just like uh-huh. I was talking about before, she has trouble sending that message from her brain to her hands. Or mm-hmm. let's say if you were playing bubbles with her and if you were Stomping the bubbles or kicking the bubbles, would she try to do that? No. Okay. So here that's your missing piece. She doesn't really understand how to move her body with with that kind of and you think, gosh Laura, she does it with an object. I don't understand why you're saying she can't imitate body movement. It's a little harder. Wow. That next little it's a little harder, and so that's why your OT is saying dyspraxia. That's what's going on. And again, if she's having trouble, most in in typical development, we learn how to do things with our bodies, and then our mouth is kind of a more refined movement system. So if she's not able yeah. to clap after you, or wave after you, or do those bigger kick after you, those bigger body movements, it's even more difficult for her to be able to have coordinated mouth movements well enough to talk. Mm -hmm. That's why she's saying dyspraxia. And so Mm -hmm. in therapy, that's the kind of thing you should really be working on, her able to imitate your body movements. And Mm -hmm. so I'm going to send you that book. So you're going to get that that list of what you can do at home. But that is what you're – I'm sure she's working on that stuff with you too, right? With the OT? Yes. Um, I right now they're they're doing feeding and sensory parts, so we haven't gotten that. We just started with her two weeks ago. I've only seen her three times, so okay. she comes well, for an hour yeah. a week. But she, I can mention. I know it she will. I know <clears throat> she will because she sounds fabulous, yeah. and she's trying to treat what's oh, most important amazing. first. Yeah, she's yeah. trying to treat what's most important first. You want your kids to eat, <laughs> and you mm-hmm. want them to be able to function in their daily environment, and so treating sensory is going to do that. And that's going yeah. to make their whole little system more organized so that they can get mm-hmm. to the point where they can imitate you. So she, I have no doubt yeah. that she's – and I keep forgetting you've just met her. I keep forgetting this is yeah. early, oh, that's early, fine. early, early on. So. I just yeah, sometimes so don't know what an OT can do and what an – I know SLP's language, but I just – I have four days at home with them, so I want to work with them as much as I can as well. Um you know, so that's why I, I figured this will be a good start building imitation. And, you know, it's it's hit yeah. and miss. Sometimes she'll kick the ball when I ask her to. Sometimes she won't. But I can, it makes completely sense what you're saying, like the signals from the brain to her body. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you've got okay. to get her to be able to consistently imitate those kinds of movements. And then, again, mm-hmm. the mouth kind of comes last with that, Laura. She's got to get yeah. better control out with her hands and with her kind of gross motor movements way before she okay. can get it coordinated with her mouth. And if you'll think about gross motor, meaning hands, feet, whole body, and then fine motor, sometimes we think about, well, certainly hand movement would be fine motor too. But the mouth oh, yeah. and speech is really the most precise fine motor movement there is. And so when you have yeah. a kid that's having some difficulty imitating even bigger gross motor movements, the fine motor movements, yeah. especially for speech, are going to be really, really hard. So you have to start with what would be easier, which would be mm-hmm. those bigger gross motor movements. And, again, you'll get a big but list is, of those. But it, sorry, sorry, I'm just ahead. interrupting for a sec. You were talking you're, in you're one fine. of your podcasts about dealing with a kid who doesn't stay still, and that's her. Like she constantly needs to move. Listen, so she can, but listen, she can do it, but she can't do it in imitation of you. And it's the imitation yes. piece that's missing. It's the imitation piece. And that's the piece that's critical. That's how you learn how to talk is yeah. by copying what you hear other people say. And so it's not that there's anything wrong with her body. Thank goodness she mm-hmm. doesn't need any other challenge. <laughs> no, She's got enough going enough. on as it is. <laughs> Yeah. And so you know physically so. she can do it. It's not that. It's just mm-hmm. that coordination piece and being able to send that little ah. signal and for her to recognize, hey, mom did it, so I'm going to do it too. And that's mm-hmm. what kids with autism miss. It's that core skill of copying somebody because that's a lot of fun. And even if I even tried what about, sorry, I even tried what you suggested about copying them or making them yeah. laugh or tickling. And I do that all the time. She's having a ball. I copy her, but she just doesn't get it that I'm copying her. So I guess that's the missing right. part that you're you're referring that's to. That's her missing part. And listen, it's great that she's responding because if she weren't responding, you would have to back up and work on that first. So try to look at that. Her responding to you is a strength. It's something right. she's already learned how to do. And for some kids mm-hmm. with autism, that, that takes a long time. We have to work a long yeah. time on that social response. And your yeah. little girl's already had that. So yeah. that's good. That's the strength of theirs. And, again, mm-hmm. what you said before was so important. They're, they're more connected to you than anybody, but if you were comparing their social responses to another adult that's not familiar or to a same-age peer, that's where kind of the big autism piece comes in because they they don't relate to other people nearly as well as they relate to you. And that's a good thing. We want kids to be super connected to their mom. Mm -hmm. So that's another strength that they have. And that's, again, why you have to be their best therapist (laughs) because you can get them to do things and they're more connected with you than anybody. And it won't matter how fabulous you know, your next 10 therapists would turn out to be, you're still going to mm-hmm. be able to get in there and do things with them because of that connection they have with you that it might take a therapist a, a longer time to be able to establish. So I love how committed That's right. you are. Yeah. Oh, thank and you. And how you're saying. But I've learned it from yeah. you. Thank you. <laughs> but it's funny oh. how just implementing a simple technique that I had no idea about, it just like this kid started saying words. And I was like, oh, my God. Like every day, new words, sound. I was like, wow. <laughs> 
you know, and you just yeah. don't know. I didn't know any of this stuff, and you just learn. You just have to keep at it. But, I, like, I've made more progress with her than in therapy for so long because you just keep at exactly. it, and they know you, and they're comfortable. And exactly. it just if I could just clone myself now to just take one in one room and one in the other <laughs> and work on them together, it would be so oh. much easier. It's hard between the two. And, you know, the other thing that makes it so hard for you is that they're both at different developmental levels and they yes. each have different needs. And so yes. that's that's hard. I mean, that's hard. It and is. so what I tell mom, I this is what I tell moms to do. When they have multiples like that, I say work with whichever kid is more willing to work with you. And sometimes moms will yes. try to get, try to do more with the kid who who's harder to reach or distracted or just having an off day, and sometimes I say, nope, you're going to want to use your best energy with the kid who's the best at the time because you're going to cover mm-hmm. more ground. Yeah, it's And so true. that just might be a, a tip for you. You know, and when I'm yes. working with families that have twins and triplets, whoever is most on, whoever's having the best day, that's the kid who's going to get the best of me that day because they're they're mm-hmm. they're more ready. They're, they're and plus you don't force them because I've noticed with them, you know, you force them to do something and they won't do it. They exactly. will not do it. And they won't learn anything. Exactly. It's just wasted energy and stress for you and them. So Exactly. Yeah. And I'm so happy you said it that way. That's a perfect way to say it. And so whichever twin is more on and more willing and more able to work with you during whatever time, that's when you devote your best energies to them and for doing what mm-hmm. they need. We're at the end of our hour. Yes. Um, I feel like I could have you on every single week because there's so much no. to talk about with you, little girl. Not again. We have not, we have not <laughs> discussed the other twins. <laughs> I know. That's what we're going to have to do. I'm going to have to talk with you, and we'll have to set up a time. And you look at your schedule because you've got a crazy kind of life, lady. You look oh, at your yes. schedule because we tried so hard to get this show on. It took us weeks and weeks mm-hmm. and weeks of you know, planning because they were sick and your mom was there and blah, 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 blah. So you look at what you could do for a show in the next couple of weeks and you just email me and then we'll talk about that. Yeah, that's so great. I'm going to email you so I can get you that book, Building Verbal Imitation. Oh, that would be great. That's what you need. Thank you. Yes, you're so welcome. That's what you need. And it's going to fill in the gaps for you. And when you read it, it's going to make more sense. Mm -hmm. And you'll be able to... Then when you're having conversations with your OT, you'll be able to kind of synthesize all your information and pull it all together. And so I know it's going to fill in for you. I know it will. Oh, I hope so. I'm pretty sure it will. It's just, you know, you don't know where to go from here. (laughs) I know. Well, so thank you so much. I haven't seen your little girl. You're welcome. I haven't seen your little girls, but I am pretty sure this is where you should go from here. So, yeah, I (laughs) I think think it'll be good. Yes, I will. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on. You have been a fantastic help. I know I'm going to get tons of positive feedback from moms who really benefited from you know if I could help somebody because you know nobody told me anything. So hey, why not share it? Right? Maybe it would help somebody else out there who's going through the same thing. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you, Laura. We'll talk again, Laura. We'll be in touch. Take care. Okay. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. That was a fabulous... Bye-bye. Well, that was a fabulous show. I can't wait till she's back on in the next couple of weeks. Thanks for joining me today. Have a great day.